0: All right, let me uh, let me start us out in prayer. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you again for an opportunity to gather as your body and to worship Lord. And you desire you. You deserve all of our worship uh, all of the time. Father, we have so much to worship you for. You are such a gracious and loving and caring, compassionate God. Lord, you've provided for us in ways that we probably don't even understand, and we're so thankful for that, thankful for these opportunities, Lord. Father, I pray that you will help us in this time, Lord, as we sit before your word, that your word would have its effect in us, and that you be glorified and honored in us. It's in Christ's name, amen. All right, so there's lots of new faces, so... um, if you missed last week, you'll be able to go on and listen to it if you, if you want to um, here shortly. Uh, it is not posted yet because it's still sitting here on my phone, um, but it will be hopefully this week. Um, if you would like notes from last week, just shoot me an email and I'll send you the notes from last week. Last week, we started talking about everyone's favorite subject. Dessert. No, no, that was a joke. (laughs) Conflict. We started talking about conflict and how to think about conflict in a biblical way. Um, It may not be anybody's favorite subject, but it is something that everyone is familiar with. Um, And God's word is sufficient for that. God gives us how we should think about conflict, how we should respond to conflict, and ultimately how we can worship and honor God in the midst of it. A lot of times we don't put those two things together. We can't think about honoring God and being in conflict together. We think those are contradictory terms, but the reality is God's word gives us how we are supposed to respond in conflict. And that way honors the Lord. Our way does not. God's way honors him. Our way does not. So we started talking last week um, uh, about this biblical, about thinking about um, conflict in a biblical way. Um, And the Bible does have a lot to say about it. Um, We defined conflict and, and we tried to understand where conflict comes from and how we react to conflict. That's what we tried to accomplish last week. We started by speaking to the reality that we as Christians are called to peace. God has called us to peace, and that's from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. We're called to be peaceful people. We spoke about this and specifically the three dimensions of that peace. We have the vertical dimension, which is peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We now have peace with God because of what he has done. There's the internal dimension, which is the peace of God. We have his peace. Romans 8, verse 6 says, For to to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We have his peace. And he has created that within us. We also have the horizontal dimension, which is a peace with other people. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort, one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So we have a vertical dimension, an internal dimension, and a horizontal dimension of peace. We sought to understand conflict and our responses to it. Conflict is a, is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. In this fallen world, we should expect conflict. It is caused by misunderstandings, differences in values, differences in goals and gifts and calling and priorities and expectations, interests or opinions. So conflict often comes over competition over limited resources or by sinful attitudes and desires that lead us to sinful words and sinful actions. We also looked at uh, where conflict comes from by looking at James 1, James 4, 1 through 3. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We spoke about the desires of the heart, and we talked about the heart a bit. Um, Proverbs 4.23 is a crucial passage that tells us to keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. The issues that we have flow out of our hearts. Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouths are tied to our hearts. And we often, in conflict, things come out in our speech that are not right or good. Then we spent the, the last part of our time talking about a diagram called the slippery slope, which talks about our responses to it, our responses to conflict. There's escaping responses, those that people try to avoid and get away from conflict. There are um, attacking responses where you put your dukes up and you fight. And then there are the conciliatory responses or folks that work through Difficulties work through conflict. So that's what we started with. And hopefully that's kind of sets the stage for what we want to talk about today. And we'll start today and we'll finish it um, on next Sunday. Talking about how are we, what are we supposed to do with conflict? How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to deal with conflict in a way that honors God? Um. The elements that we, in in counseling, we like to call these elements the four G's. Four G's, as in great. The four G's. So let me give those to you here, real quick. Number one is glorify God. There's basically four components of dealing with conflict in a biblical way. First is glorify God. How can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? The second one is to get the log out of your eye. How can I, how have I, may have, how may have I contributed to this conflict and what do I need to do to resolve it? That's from Matthew 7, verses one through five. Second G is get the log out of your eye. The third is gently restore. Gently restore and show your brother his fault. How can I help others to understand how they have contributed to this conflict? And the last G is go and be reconciled. The last G is go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate forgiveness and encourage a response, a a reasonable solution to this conflict? So we're going to get through the first two. Today, we're gonna get through glorifying God and we're gonna get through uh, getting the log out of our eye. So thinking about glorifying God, conflict can cause those involved to have an earthbound gaze rather than a Godward gaze. This is the, the first essential step in conflict resolution. We must get our gaze to be upward, to have a Godward gaze rather than focusing on the conflict, rather than focusing even on ourselves. We need to remember that we are powerless to do good or make peace by our own strength. Romans 7.15 says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And of course, this is the Apostle Paul talking about the battle that he has with what he knows he should do and what he actually does. The ongoing uh, battle in the flesh. And we're absolutely dependent upon the Lord in this. We need to remember this that we must rely on his strength, on his words, on his wisdom, not ours. The foundation for true peacemaking and reconciliation is our justification by God's grace through faith in Christ. Why can we have peace with others? Because we have peace with God. Because of what Christ has done. Romans 3, 24 says, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is our example. Remember the Savior. He is the perfect model of a peacemaker. He died for us while we were yet sinners. While we were Warring against him, rebelling against him, he died for us. He suffered wrongs without retaliation. Jesus never retaliated. How many times do we retaliate in conflict? I'd probably say most of them, right? Most of them probably. But he suffered wrongs without retaliation. 1 Peter 2.23 talks about that. He confronted others only for their good. Do we confront others for their good or do you set them straight? Legit question. He always confronted for their good. John 4.1-26 talks about an account of that very thing. And he loved and forgave, even his enemies. I don't think most of us probably even talk to our enemies. Do we? He promises to work in us so that we may do the same things. Philippians 2.13. Remember the Savior, his example. He's the perfect example of how to resolve conflicts. As we seek to imitate our Lord and develop the ability to serve him as a peacemaker. Look what the apostle Paul says here in Philippians one, nine through 11 says, this is my prayer that my love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that I may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise Of God, that is a mind set on God's glory. His prayer is a prayer to help him grow in his knowledge so that he may what glorify God. We as believers, as Christians need to look at conflict differently than the world. We are not to be consumed or overwhelmed by it, but to see it as God does. The reality is that conflict is something that God uses to refine us. Conflict provides opportunities. Look at conflict as it provides opportunities. You're probably wondering what in the world, where are you going with this, Stanley? I mean, seriously, opportunities? Conflict is something we're supposed to get away from and avoid, right? Well, there are opportunities within conflict. Opportunity number one is to glorify God. We have an opportunity to do the very thing we were talking about. We show him honor and bring him praise to be a witness to what he has done for me through Christ. That glorifies God. We glorify glorify God by trusting him. Psalm 37 verses five through six is commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Trust the Lord in the midst of the conflict and that glorifies God. We glorify God by obeying him. We have opportunities to obey him. John 14, 15, if you love me, What? You will keep my commandments. We have an opportunity to show the love we have for God by obeying him. We glorify God by imitating him. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We glorify God by imitating him. Ask yourself these questions. How can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? Or how can I be a witness to what Christ has done in me? That's what our thinking should be when we're in the midst of conflict. Opportunity number two is to serve others to serve other people. It's to help or to carry their burdens. Galatians 6 verses 2 and verse 10 say, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We have an opportunity to carry or to help carry their burdens. We also help them to change through constructive confrontation. Galatians 6:2 I'm sorry um, yeah, same thing. <laughs> it says, "Brothers, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently." It's the wrong verse, I'm sorry. So help them to change through constructive confrontation. The idea is that someone has been caught in something and someone who sees that has compassion upon this person and goes to them so that they can restore them. And they do that in a spirit of gentleness. Conflict often is not gentle, is it? Has anyone ever been in a gentle conflict? I, I can't, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle, it's a power struggle. This person's trying to win this one over and that one's trying to win the other over or just deal with the situation, blow them away so that you can walk in what you wanted to walk in. But we're to have a spirit of gentleness in how we go to each other and have a constructive confrontation, not one that puts them in their place, but one that woos them to the Lord, that that draws them and points them to Christ. We need to do, also we have the uh, to by serving them we can teach and encourage others by example. We can provide an example for them to follow. <clears> 1 <throat> Timothy four twelve says, "Set an example for the believers in speech, and life, and love, and faith." and in purity. We have an opportunity to set an example in how we deal with the conflict. And oftentimes they will follow that. Opportunity number three is to grow, to be like Christ. Grow to be like Christ. We have an opportunity to grow. This, the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, folks, kids God is more interested in our holiness than he is in our happiness A lot of times our happiness can be in direct conflict with God's will Because if we're happy about selfish things we're actually according to 1 Peter we're actually encountering God's opposition because he opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. If our happiness is rooted in what pleases him, we're going to be in the right spot. So he's more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Romans eight twenty eight and 29 says, and we know that in all things, God works the, for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those got whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. A lot of people like to stop in verse 28, but that's an incomplete statement at that point. Yes, God does work all things for our good so that we will be like Christ. And one of the ways, one of the things he uses oftentimes is conflict. That doesn't mean go look for conflict so that God can use it. That's not what, that's not what we're trying to do. Don't go causing and stirring up conflict and strife because you want the Lord to work in that. No, but it's something that only he can do. It's something that he does. So we need to think about this opportunity to grow in this way. James 1, 3-4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must have its finished work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Conflict helps us to remember our need for God. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. That's Paul's speaking about the thorn in his flesh and this difficulty in his life pointed him and and recognized, he recognized his need for the Lord and he sought the Lord to deal with it. And God was, said what my grace is sufficient for you he didn't remove it but he was gracious in it paul recognized his dependence upon the lord for that conflict helps us uh, uncover sinful attitudes and habits conflict helps us uncover sinful attitudes and habits psalm 119 verse 67 says before i was afflicted i went astray but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Conflict helps us uncover sinful attitudes and habits in our lives. Ephesians four twenty-two through 24 talks about the idea of putting off the old man, renewing our mind and putting on the new. That conflict provides opportunities for us to put off our old selves through repentance and faith and to put on the new self created in created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Conflict provides opportunities to 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 practice godly habits. First Timothy four, seven says have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness.
1: 1
0: Timothy 4.7 So we are to train ourselves. So this is an opportunity for us to practice the things that we are learning. And we always have these in, in counseling, they like to boil things down to these catchy little acronyms and of the four G's like we just talked about. And now there's the ABC of Christian growth. The ABC of Christian growth is adversity builds character. Adversity builds character. These are all God word thoughts. These are all attitudes that that bring God glory. And this is where we want to to be when it comes to conflict. Our minds want to think these things as we are in conflict, looking to God, trusting him, acknowledging our dependence upon him, obeying him, serving others. And our desire ultimately is to see God glorified, not to have the conflict gone but to see God glorified. So part two, we want to talk about, we've talked about glorifying God. Now we want to talk about getting the log out of our eyes. Would someone be willing to read Matthew 7, 1 through 5 for us? Anybody? Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment, excuse me, you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's
0: eye. Yeah. That's quite a picture, isn't it? Quite a picture. And what's the point? It's a picture that has a point. What is the point?
1: We're not we right. First, like we have a problem first. Okay. We're broken. So okay. We solve our problem first before telling others about that.
0: Right. Okay. You're not, you're not qualified to see
1: person's issue when
0: you haven't seen your own. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Sure. What's on display in this illustration? Pride. I heard it. Pride. Knowing that we, our prideful people, we will overlook our own issues and focus on others' issues. But the to do that is to be a judge, and who is the judge? God alone. We are not to judge. In fact, there's really strong language: "Judge not, that you may not be judged." For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Strong words. And we are not to judge others. Why do you? What? And the idea is that we're focused on other people and not ourselves. We need to make sure that we are in a right relationship with God first and foremost, so that we can rightly help others, or be involved with other people. Does that make sense?
1: Somebody had a question over there. You got a question? Yeah, so I'm just curious, like, what would be the distinction then between like making like a judgment versus coming in like a You don't actually like making a decision? because I feel like, I feel like I've with that, like what does it mean to judge not when it's not gonna change
0: about my action. So what is, a judge assesses a person's like punishment, basically. Right? Is that correct? So if we judge someone, we're assessing punishment to them. Does that make sense? Like condemning. condemning. Yeah, sure. There's all kinds of punishments we could issue onto someone like that. Um, we're not to do that. It's the Lord does that because we have an incomplete picture. We don't see all of their hearts. We don't see... We can't see their heart at all. The Lord sees their heart. So we ultimately don't know, right? And the reality is we are stealing something that God is doing, that God does, that only he can do. I don't know if that answers your question. I have a thought about that. There's a difference
1: between judgment and discernment. So when you look at a situation and you use your good, godly, discernment It's a better scenario, that we somebody I don't need to hang out with, versus judgment of they're unredeemable, they're going to hell. Even the worst sinner uh, is not, there's only one um, unforgivable sin, to be the mile of Christ. And I know we hear things as time goes on, but we judge people on what our thinking is. Oh, well, they're garbage, or that, or this situation is unremovable. Marriages, people throw marriages away every day because they're not. They're putting final judgment on it instead of looking at the scenario, going to God's word, and then coming at the problem with that direction and with that purpose. Judge kind of almost like a language thing, the word judgment. Mm-hmm. But judgment is final as versus, you know, differences of opinion or using your good discernment to say this isn't a good scenario or whatever. But even still, always coming out of God's perspective <coughs> God wants for you and your life and honoring him in the process.
0: So that, there's obviously a lot to it. Um, more than we probably have time for, but I'd be happy to talk with you about it if if you'd like to talk about that. I think too, in the, the sessions that are coming up, there's one that's coming up on being judgmental. Um, so obviously there'd be more clarification there. Um, is that fair? Okay. Um, jump. Okay. Well, we're responsible to respond rightly, and to stand for what the Lord stands for. But ultimately, we're not the—we don't have the authority over any or, or anybody like that to make a judgment of them. The Lord does. Um, that's that's where we want to be careful, and not to step across that line. Are you going to say I something? i just going to say one thing. To the conflict, right? Is it the issue with judgment and conflict? If I if I approach the person with whom I have conflict, I say, they've disappointed me, they've failed me, they've fallen short of my standards, that's the judgment we're talking about here. That's the wrong judgment, right? Uh, it is It is acceptable to say, and it is good, you know. and as Christian brothers and sisters with one another, we should do this, is we should say, hey, it's not my judgment you need to worry about, it's God's judgment, mm-hmm. he's the judge. Let me just help you answer this here. So if I'm ever the, the judge, like what you're saying in this, that's a problem. Yeah. But if it's I come beside you and I help you Conform to what the judge says, right. that's the way to do it. Right, that's very true. I mean, we don't we don't want to be judge, jury, and executioner. You know, we are to pr- proclaim the truth and point well, them think, to the judge. The, the beautiful thing if I'm the judge, <coughs> we're, we're automatically in conflict with one another. You failed, I will judge you, right? But if, if he's still the judge like he is, right, we could mm-hmm. come side by side and we submit to him together. Yeah, for sure. Well, sure, I mean, we don't want to make excuses for our sinfulness. But back to the, you know, looking at this, this passage of Scripture. Um, the reality is, because we are prideful people, because we are sinful people, we need to make sure that our relationship is right with the Lord. You know, we need to get our, the log out of our eye so that we can um, address the issues that, that is going on. Um, and and, and it's, a, it's an expression of humility, too, to do that very thing. Like, I'm not perfect here. I'm not inculpable. Incul- somebody say that word. Inculpable. inculpable. Unculpable?
1: Infulpable.
0: I'm not infallible. There you go. <laughs> I can say that one. I'm not infallible here. And to realize that, and, and the reality is, if we really think about it, most times when you get, are in a conflict there are elements that we have contributed to it. You know, there are elements that we have contributed to it and we need to own those things and we need to make those things right. And that's the point here. We are gonna get into you know, going to the person and confronting them about the sin and doing that in a way that is not judgmental in a way that is not you know judge, jury, execution or that kind of thing. We're gonna get into those things next, next week. But for here and now, the focus is honoring God and then make sure I'm right with God in the midst of this, right? Um, And it is very strong language. Jesus calls a person that's like this a hypocrite. You know, it's very strong language. Um, He's saying you're fake. He's saying you're someone who says something, and does another. They're, they're saying that you're that, that, that that's false. And that even prideful in that what applies to everyone else doesn't apply to themselves. It's to say that I am not the problem, they are. And to be entrenched in that kind of kind of thinking. It's not me, it's them. This life would be great if they would get a clue. But the reality is that we are indeed, and probably in most cases, that there is things that it is our fault. It's because of something that we may have misunderstood or something we have miscommunicated or even sinned against someone this is why it's crucial to examine ourselves in any conflict the illustration seems kind of kind of silly it's exaggerated right no one's walking around with a literal log in their eye but you get the point i'm the chief of sinners That's the attitude. I am the one that needs the Lord working in me. That's the point. And that expresses humility. And humility must be in every conflict resolution. There must be humility. Um, So, If everyone were to do this, what would happen to conflict? Probably a lot of them would go away, but you know i 'm pretty stubborn too though, so it, it might not, but the reality is if, if each person really looks at themselves and owns up to the sin that they have may have committed, that conflict really shouldn't shouldn't be there anymore um we need to ask ourselves some questions as we're thinking about how do we get the log out of our eye? We need to ask ourselves some questions. So first thing is, is this really worth fighting over? Is this really worth fighting over? We need to look at the situation and determine if it is so serious that we need to work through it or is this something that love can cover? Proverbs nineteen eleven says, a man's wisdom gives them patience, it is to his glory to overlook an offense. And we're looking inwardly specifically to remove a a critical or negative attitude that leads to unnecessary conflict or uh, or sinful action, like like sinful words and, and actions. That's what we're looking to root out. God commands us to overlook minor offenses. Proverbs 12:16 says, "The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult." The prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 17:14 says, "Good sense makes one slow to anger." And it is his glory to overlook an offense. The beginning of another Proverbs here in in Proverbs 17 says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. To quit before the quarrel. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Once you let water out, you can't get it back, can you? So the point is stop. Stop before the quarrel breaks out. What verse is that? Um, that was, sorry, 1714. The beginning of strife is like letting out of water. Josh, yeah. Yes. Sorry, I had an ADD moment. What the critical negative blank that leads one of the blanks there. Negative attitude. Okay. And the two blanks underneath that are words and actions. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I must have said that kind of fast. Um, why do we overlook an offense because we imitate the Lord? It's another opportunity to imitate God. Psalm one and3 verses eight through 10 says, "The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. The Lord overlooks. It's an opportunity to, to follow his example. Luke six thirty six says, Be merciful just as our Father in heaven is merciful. But we are to be merciful people. We also need to ask questions about or thinking about changing our attitudes. <clears throat> Is there any attitude in me that needs to change? Am I prideful? Am I anxious? Am I angry, etc.? There are many attitudes that can promote conflict. Two of which that promote lots of conflict at times are anger and anxiety. Philippians four the apostle Paul is pleads with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. there's a conflict going on that he heard about and he pleads with them to agree in the Lord. Yes. I ask you loyal yoke fellows, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So that, He's asking for people to help and to step in and help resolve that situation. (coughs) Philippians four, starting in verse two says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses our, our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. <clears throat> whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned and seen and heard in me, practice these Things Put them into practice. (coughs) Rejoice in the Lord. That's an attitude that we need to have always, even when we are in a conflict. That sounds crazy, but it's reality. What do we have to rejoice in? The Lord who will intercede, who gives us all that he's given us, who has sacrificed for us. We have lots of to rejoice about the next next verse five says, let your gentleness be evident to all an idea. I mean, gentleness is crucial in a conflict and resolving it. We're to be gentle, not obnoxious or rude or spiteful. Replace anxiety with prayer. (coughs) supplications, begging, pleading, crying out to God for assistance with thanksgiving. We're to thank God. What do we have God to thank for? We could spend the rest of the time talking about what we should thank Him for, right? But amazing when when we get anxious about things and when things get troubled, what goes out the window? Our thankful hearts. We get consumed by the situation that we're in. And we lose sight. So we're to remember who God is. We're to to make this a matter of prayer. We're to trust the Lord with it. We're to see things as they really are. Verse eight, focus on the truth. Create a list of things that are true, honorable, lovely, etc. And meditate on that list, not on the things we should not be meditating on practice what we've learned what we have heard we are to put those things into practice we also need to count the cost i'm gonna to have to move a little bit faster we need to count the cost <coughs> matthew chapter 5 verse 25 talks about settling matters quickly to settle them quickly we need to count the cost We need to do what's necessary in a timely manner. Ask ourselves again, is this really worth fighting over? Is this really worth fighting over? Are you sure you are right biblically? Are you sure you're right biblically? What, what is the cost going to be? Is this going to cost me financially? Is this going to cost us emotionally? Is this going to cost us physically? What's the what is what's the cost? What is this going to do to the church? What is this going to do to the church? What is this going to do to the family? We need to ask these questions. We need to count the costs. Is this really worth stepping into? A lot of times when people are in conflict, they think their, their rights have been violated or they've been diminished. But the reality is being a good steward of God. Of, of, of the means, it means to, to invest our rights and our resources for God's glory to build his kingdom. So when you think about the, the, the R in Christian, it's not rights, but it's responsibility. We have a responsibility to glorify God, to serve others and to grow in Christ likeness. So We don't need to sit back and say, well, my rights are violated. No, I have a responsibility here to respond in a way that honors the Lord. We need to examine ourselves. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen. Take an honest look at yourself. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There it is. We go to the Lord and ask him to search our hearts, make it known to us and then to lead me in the other direction. That's the turn away from (coughs) sinful things. So what if you come to the conclusion that there is some sinful pattern here? There is some sinfulness here in the midst of this this conflict. What do you do at that point? Well, you need to confess. You need to repent and you need to seek to restore. Remember, repentance isn't just something that you feel. It's a change of mind and behavior. Mere remorse leads only to further grief. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 2 Corinthians 7.10 But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow comes when we see sin for what it is, a personal offense against God. God. Because it is against him. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Luke 15, 18. If we confess to the Lord, we confess to the Lord because it is ultimately against him first and foremost. Genuine repentance involves a change of heart. A different way of of, of thinking. When he... Human repentance leads to changed behavior also. It's not enough to just think about particular things, but we need to act in particular ways. There are some genuine benefits to this, to repentance and confession. You have a clear conscience before God. It's the first step towards constructive change. And it sets an example that others will follow. I really want to get into this next section here, and and I think it's going to be helpful. And we may not have time for small group discussion, but we'll see how it goes. But I would say probably in in my, my times of counseling, this next section has been um, something that we have used on in almost every counseling session that we've, or counseling case we've come up against. When someone says that they need to confess, or when we say the word confess, what does that mean? What does that mean specifically? Yeah. What does it mean to confess? To admit? yeah. Admit. Yep. Ownership. Okay. I'm going ownership in it. Sure. You truth. Purge yourself to speak the truth. You now you speak the truth about what you did. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all. That's all relevant. That's all part of it. That's, that's very true. Um, so again, here's another one of those little catchy little things. The seven A's of confession is what we're, we're going to talk about here. <clears throat> um, so this is what biblical confession looks like. OK, so as you think about confessing, these are the elements of it. OK, the first A is address everyone involved. Address everyone involved. And we got the passages of Scripture listed there for you. For the sake of time, we're going to not read those. It says, don't leave anyone out. It's important to speak to everyone. This isn't always easy, as you may not truly know the extent of who you might might need to speak to. Especially if, if the event took place in a public setting. So as you are talking with a person, you might ask them, do you think there's anyone else I need to confess this to? This is also the case with, with, often the case with children because they may overhear things through walls or they might be in the living room, you might be in the dining room, you know, however your house is laid out. They may overhear particular things and you may need to go to them. And, and be aware of that. The next A is avoid if, but, and maybe. In other words, be specific. If we confess our sins, say the same thing that God says about our sin. Do not excuse yourself or try to explain your actions away. Do not defend yourself. The reality is there is no excuse. There is no explanation, but that I have sinned against you. You'd be amazed if I, I've heard this so many times. If you had only done blank, then I would not have done blank. Is that a true statement? Well, you don't have enough information, probably. But the reality is, what did they do? Because of what you did, that made me, right, do this. Is that true? No. Because of what you did, I decided to do this. That's the truth. That's the truth. They don't make you be sinful, or respond wrongly. Or dishonor God. You'd made a choice in your heart to do that. And, and you acted on that decision. I've heard this one so many times. And this one's probably the one that grates me the most. Well, it wasn't my intention. It wasn't my intention. Well, It really is because at the moment you had the intention to do whatever it was you did and you acted upon that intention. So to say that for some reason you lost control of yourself, something else took over you and made you do something is not owning the situation. The reality is our heart does have intentions, right? And we act on those intentions, I didn't, to say I didn't intend to do X, Y, and Z is just to, to not own it. And, and, and it's not true. It's not right. We need to own what we have done. And that's the point to avoid if, buts and maybes, you know, to, to avoid taking responsibility to try to explain it away. We need to admit things specifically, that's the next A. Admit specifically, specifically in, sin, in sinful attitudes, sinful words, sinful actions. Okay, we need to be specific. Sinful attitudes. Matthew fifteen nineteen is a verse you could go for that. Oh, you got them down there. Yep. Um, it's to, to to admit your cravings or your desires that have grown into demands your judgments, condemning others or um, speculation on, onto their motives. Um, <clears throat> so we need to admit specifically in our attitudes. We need to ex- admit specifically in our words, our harsh or reckless words, our grumbling and complaining. Philippians 2.14 is a big one. We're not to grumble and complain. To speak falsehood. Any deception or twisting of the truth, you know, we might have part of the truth in there, but we twist it to suit ourselves. We need to—that's that's that's lying, that's falsehood. Exodus twenty, verse sixteen, Proverbs twenty-four, verse twenty-eight are also verses you can go to for that. Gossip—we need to admit gossip or revealing or disclosing things to someone else that wasn't there. It's none of their business. It's between you and me, and it needs to stay between you and me. Um, slander or speaking falsely or maliciously about someone, Second Timothy three three would be a verse you could go there, and just worthless talk. Just Ephesians four twenty nine, just worthless talk. Um, we need to admit those things. Those are sinful words, sinful actions. We need to keep. You need to keep your word. If we haven't we have broken our word, not kept our word, Matthew 5, verse 37. Not respecting authority would be one as well. That could cause conflict. You know, your boss is your boss. You need to respect your boss, right? Um, you know, we all have authorities in our lives, you know. Like it or not, police officers are there. They are an authority. And if we get pulled over. We need to be respectful. Um, There are authorities we need to respect. Another one you could admit is not treating others as you would like to be treated. Matthew 7, 12. We need to admit outbursts of anger. We need to talk about physical contact. If we have physically done someone to someone hit, push, shove, bite, whatever, you'd be surprised at how conflicts can get nasty quickly. That includes um, breaking things. It includes breaking people's property. You know, those kind of things as well, the physical aspects of it. And, and we also need to admit ignoring or disregarding Given the cold shoulder. Those are sinful actions that we need to admit. The next A is apologize. Express sincere sorrow for the way you affected that person. Again, this apology is without any attempt to explain it away. If there is any attempt to do this, you are not sorry. You are not apologizing. Godly sorrow was first aimed towards God. It is you who have sinned against against him. My sinning and <clears throat> there's no excuse, there's no exception. Only admit to what has been done and I'm sorry. We need to own it basically when we apologize and actually express an apology. We need to be specific in that, not just say I'm sorry. No, we need to apologize so they know why you're apologizing, what specifically you're apologizing for. Because that demonstrates the Lord has worked in your mind and your heart and you are expressing that godly sorrow to them. The next A is accept the consequences. Trust oftentimes has to be rebuilt. Don't be frustrated But be understanding and be reassuring. Consider. I'm sorry, consistent change in action goes a long way. If you show a consistent change in your actions, it goes a long way. Again, you're going to own it and you can take the take the consequences of what took place. (coughs) Always be patient. Next is alter, alter or change your behavior. Ephesians 4, through 32. Have a plan and communicate that plan. For example, rather than responding quickly with harsh and angry words, you might say, I will hear, I will hear you out. I will pray and consider my words before responding. And this may take a little bit of time, but I will work hard and fast and respond right to respond rightly to you in respectful um, in a, a respectful and constructive way. In other words, you have a plan. My plan is when I hear things that I might be upset about or angry about that might make me somewhat angry. I'm going to first consider and pray. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to hear what you have to say. And then I'm going to think about those things and come back to you as quickly as I can. That's a plan. So you don't just, well, I'm, I just won't argue anymore. I just won't raise my voice anymore. That's, sorry, that's not enough. It's not enough. You're in that situation because you didn't have a plan before. Why would you respond differently now? By the way, don't say this unless you are going to follow through. Make sure that you follow through. You communicate your plan and follow through. Do it. The last A is ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? So this puts the ball in their court. It is a transaction which restores the relationship to where it should be. Will you forgive me? Next week, we're going to talk about what forgiveness really looks like. We're going to talk about that in detail. What if the person won't forgive? What do we do if they will not forgive? Number one, pray. Pray about it. Take it to the Lord. Pray about it. Number two, we need to look again. Was our confession adequate? Did I cover all of the bases? Did I leave anything out? Did I communicate clearly? The next thing, have you followed through on your commitments? Have I followed through with the things I said I was going to do? And the next one is allow some time. Be patient. Allow time. Just because we get down to the last part of the confession and we ask them to forgive us, you know, sometimes it takes people time to <coughs> assimilate that. Okay, so we need to be patient. We need to be patient. And maybe we need to revisit things along the way. Uh,
1: this is the last ones here? The
0: last three blinks. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I skipped over that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, said, so "Never make a confession merely to get a burden off of your shoulders." I know a lot of people when they're in conflict, they feel awful. When they find out that they have, that they are culpable, they've done something, then they realize that it just becomes a burden that they have to get off their shoulders. That's not the right way not just to get a burden off your shoulders or to gain comfort for yourself or to try to minimize things so that things will go better. Rather, your goal should always be to glorify God and minister to the person you have wronged. Minister to the person you have wronged. we got a couple minutes. I guess you could jump into those last few questions here. Down there at the bottom of your sheet. Next week, we're going to look at part three, go and show your brother his fault. And then we're going to look at go and be reconciled. That's the plan for next Sunday. Let me pray for us. And then you guys have some a few minutes to discuss a couple of questions. Father, we thank you again for the day. Father, please forgive me for... Not communicating in a, in, a, in a better way, in a timely manner, Lord, but running out of time at the end. And Father, I pray that um, that what was said is what needed to be said. Father, I pray that um, that you will use your word in all of our hearts, Lord God, to refine us, to make us more like you. And Father, we come thankful for this time. And I pray, Lord, that you would receive much glory because uh, of our time this morning. And it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen.